Welcome and thanks again for listening to Coffee and Call Sheets. We just want to apologize in advance for some of the audio issues you may hear in the course of this episode. You might hear some dogs, some planes, and other distracting sounds. Bear with us as we're still building this thing in the air. Here we go. All right, Bryn, we are in, we are in, and uh, welcome. My name is Wayne Witherspoon, but everybody calls me Spoon. And this is Brian Carlson. Everybody likes to call me BC. And today, we're going to be speaking with Ron L. Wright. Yes, boom operator. Extraordinaire. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get into that, I've been thinking about how did you, Spoon, how did you get into this industry? How did you get in the game? Ah, how did I get in the game? Well, I started off as uh, as a page at mm. Paramount. Well, before then, I was doing I actually was doing commercials as a PA here in LA. Here in LA, gotcha. I worked for a company called Praxis Filmworks, and Praxis Filmworks was run by Rob Blaylock. God rest his soul. He just passed this earlier this year. Rob won an Oscar for the first Star Wars in 77 visual effects. Oh, okay. Yeah, damn, that Oscar was heavy. I used to pick it up. <laughs> so I was doing that, and then I ended up applying for a page job at Paramount, right? Okay. I didn't get the job. Right. So then maybe maybe about three weeks later, I got a call from Paramount, and they were like, hey, you still interested in the job? And I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> right? And I was like, hell yeah. And so uh, I went in. And I remember they were like, okay, well, you got the job. You just got to come in for to uh, HR, and they'll tell you what you're making and all of the... So you, you didn't know, need to the, interview. They were basically saying, you have the job if you yeah, want it. Exactly, because I, I had already interviewed. So I remember I, I was at Paramount. The Western Costume Building was still where the large Paramount Theater is now. And uh, I remember the old gate, the Bronson Gate. Mm. You would come in through the main gate off of Melrose. So I came in, and... I sat down with HR and I was like, you know, I was happy. And they were like, hey, we're glad that you decided to take the job. I was like, oh, yeah. And uh, I remember the first thing I said was, well, uh, are there benefits? <laughs> and literally the lady laughed. <laughs> <laughs> benefits? <laughs> You'll be lucky to get 30 hours a week. I was like, uh, okay. I was like, well, well, what's the pay? You know, I'm the Hollywood, you know, that, that right. perception of Hollywood. You, you're just going to make the money. Oh, it's going to be uh, $5 an hour. And I was like, oh. Yeah. Oh, she's like, oh, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. And I'm like, oh, damn. Okay, she made a mistake. That's five twenty-five. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, uh, she's like, do you still want the job? And I was like, yes. Yeah, I, I needed to get in. Yeah. And once I got in, you know, it's like anything. Yeah. If you get in, you, what you have to do is you've got to maneuver. You can't just sit. You've got to maneuver where you want it to go. And, and being a page was cool because a page was like being the studio's temporary service because you could go to any other department they would ask for the pages first and you could kind of go to different departments i ended up going to the mailroom and from the mailroom i met um a gentleman by the name of larry albuquer he was the head of feature production and his assistant was her name was terry and a, a buddy of mine eddie o'flaherty and eddie was also a page but eddie ended up becoming an assistant to terry and larry so 
once I got into the mailroom, I used to do what they call specials, right? And that would be where executives or different departments would call you up and I need a special person to come in, grab this, uh, whatever it needs to be. And it was a special because if you had a route, you pick things up, but right. you pick things up at certain times of the day, in the morning and in the afternoon. You delivered and you um, you pick things up, right? But this is more like a direct courier. A direct courier, right. They would come in and bring it straight back. So I did specials. So I would always come into Larry's office and I'd see Eddie and I'd talk to Eddie and Eddie introduced me to Larry and, and Terry and I would all, and they, you know, I kind of got a rapport and I remember seeing a DJ award on Larry's wall. Mm. And I was like, what is that? And he was like, oh, Director's Guild Award. And I'm like, really? I was like, what's the Director's Guild? And he was like, oh man, it's for the directors, the assistant directors. And I was like, wow, that's kind of cool. And I probably just was being funny and said out loud, oh man, I hope to get one of those one day. He was like, yeah, you can get one of those. Just got to put your mind to it. You, gotta, you have to be prepared for it. You know, and if you get in the guild, it's a wonderful guild. And I was like, okay. Not really thinking that would end up happening. 2021, I won a Director's Guild Award. Right on. Yep, for uh, the Underground Railroad. And uh, I worked with Liz Tan. Number one, we're coming to get you. <laughs> Elaine Wood. What goes you too. And uh, Jesse Carmona, youngster. And uh, we spent a year together in Georgia with Barry uh, Jenkins. Man, it was wonderful. And I also have to give a shout out to my, my lovely wife who really uh, did something really cool. She and I have been going to the DGA Awards. It wasn't the first time I had been nominated. I've been nominated with Van Hayden, uh, Stuart Hagen. It was for a, a movie with uh, Halle Berry based on a book by Zora Neale Hurston. Their eyes were watching God. Fantastic cast, fantastic crew. And uh, we didn't win, but it was cool to be nominated. Yeah. So, me and my wife had been going to these DGA awards. On this one, my wife said, why don't you invite your mom? And I was like, are you sure? She's like, yeah, bring your mom. Mom comes, we're hanging out, and I win. Nice. Right, and, nice. and, and I felt a tinge of like, oh, my girl's been there all the time. Right. But she allowed my mom to go. It was the first DGA award after COVID. Wow. And so usually with the DJ Award, you can buy a table or you get with some people and you buy more yeah. seat. But on this one, my wife was so cool. Love you, baby. So with the page, obviously, like you got into Paramount as a page. You got mm -hmm. around a bunch of people and, and you worked your way up. Right. You had to go going from a page. What was your first uh, PA gig? You know, because it's a different being a PA doing commercials and being a PA on set is totally different. I know. Yeah. So, you know, PA on commercials, you're driving trucks, yeah. you're, you're purchasing things, you're doing that. But a PA on movies and television, you are on set. You're an essential part of the AD Exactly, department. exactly. So my first movie was Beverly Hills Cop 3. All right. Huge. And um, so how I got there was one day a buddy of mine, Steve Jackson, who was working in the um, the store. And I'm not sure how Steve, I don't remember his way of getting into uh, the office of Beverly Hills Cop 3, but Steve was there. So Steve and I, you know, we used to play basketball together and, you know, we were really cool. And Steve was like, yo, man, 
you need to get over here, bro. You need to try to get into the office. Get in the office of the production. Of the production office of Beverly Hills Cop 3. Right. So I ended up going to, one day I was in the uh, Al Buker's office and talking to Terry. And I said, I just happened to mention, I was like, wow, man, I'd love to get on Beverly Hills Cop 3. She's like, really? I was like, yeah. She's like, oh, okay. And I was like, really? She's like, yeah. So Terry picks the phone up, calls over there, and her exact words were, hey, this is uh, Terry from Larry Albuquerque's office, and uh, we would like to send a gentleman over there who we are very, very high on. This gentleman can do the job, but we are very high on him getting the job. Uh, his name is Wayne Witherspoon, and uh, he'll be calling you. So then I get a call, and it's um, the production coordinator, and I... I remember Marty Hornstein, who was very essential in my career, and I could hear Marty in the background saying, who the fuck is Al Buker sitting over here now? I've got, I've got, a, I've got a production coordinator, two assistant coordinators, I've got a bunch of PAs over here. Who the hell is this? And um, I can remember him in the background saying, yeah, tell that guy, come in next week, interview with me. And so I came in the next week, I interviewed, my interview was like three minutes long. Right. And uh, Marty was like, so you want to do this? You want to do the job, huh? Yeah. All right. Well, we started shooting September 3rd. I remember the dates. We started shooting September 3rd, and this was like maybe late June. Yeah. All right. We'll see you back then. Right? So I, this was my first time getting a job, so I didn't know how that worked, right? Right. So one day... <laughs> I'm riding on my little cart. And I didn't hear from anybody. And right, I'm like, you're still at Paramount. Yeah, so Paramount. I'm thinking like, man, no one's called me and asked me. You know, I, I don't know what's going on. So I'm riding my little cart, and Terry sees me. She's like, "What are you doing here?" I was like, "Oh, they told me I start September 3rd." And she was like, "Oh, really? Oh, okay." So literally, dude, I come back from my route. There's a phone call. I answer it. I say, "Hey, hello." She's like, "Hey, Wayne, how are you doing?" Yeah. So listen, we'll we'll have you start like on July 6th. Oh, a yeah, lot sooner. A lot sooner. So July 6th, I was in the production office. And uh, and your boy was there, right? Yeah, yeah. So it was me and Steve. And so I took a class at uh, UCLA called The Art of the Assistant Director. It was taught by uh, Jerry Ziesmer. Okay. Big time, first AD. Godfather. Apocalypse Now. Wow. Jerry Maguire. Like, just huge movies. And... Um, I was in the class, and it was a one-day class, and I'm, I'm in there, and, and I'm listening. I'm like, wow, maybe I, I, I kind of like this. All right? right. So he says, if you really want to be an AD, you call me. Took down his number. I still have the uh, the booklet that he passed out that day, and it was pretty thick. Right. right. And um, he was like, yeah, you come by and uh, bring your resume, and we'll talk about it. So, you know, I'm, I'm all hyped up about my resume because it had... Like community service, this <laughs> PSA. Right. You know, I'm like I'm pumped, and he lived in uh, Encino, nice home. So I'm like, damn, right. AD, okay. And his wife was a second. And I remember I came in with my my resume, and this is what I do. You had to have alligator skin if you wanted to be in this business. You couldn't have thin skin. I gave my resume proudly to Jerry, uh -huh. and Jerry, Jerry's exact words were. No one's gonna hire you with this shit. <laughs> I was like, so I'm walking in on clouds, and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, he just cut you down. Yeah, I was like, no one's gonna hire me with this. You know, I'm thinking to myself, really? 
So Jerry says, yeah, but you know what? You showed the initiative that you really want to do this. And I said, yeah. So Jerry's like, all right, I'm going to make your resume. And so my very first resume was look good, but there was nothing behind it. <laughs> <laughs> and Jerry was like, if anybody asks you, you just tell me you work for Jerry. So now, now I'm bugging Marty. Hey, I want to go to set. I want to go to set. Right. I want to go to set. And Marty's like, ah, okay, go talk to the ADs. You can interview with them. So I go in and I interview with Albert Cho and Arthur Anderson, two of the best ADs in the business. Albert was the key and uh, Arthur was the first. Albert figured, he saw, he saw through me and so did Arthur because, you know, you have to deal with the second a lot more than the first. And so Albert asked me, he started asking me questions about the films that were on my resume. Right. Like, hey, well, who's the key set? I don't know. I work with Jerry. That was my answer. <laughs> that's what Jerry told me to say. Right. That's what I said. And Albert's like, you don't know who the other PAs were on the set? <laughs> I don't know. I work with Jerry. <laughs> and Albert's looking at me like, dude, where were you during the Iran conflict? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So I, I look over and I see Arthur, and Arthur's working uh, on his computer, and Arthur is just laughing inside. <laughs> he's just chuckling, and he's smiling. And at this point, pretty much, I was going to be on set. Right. Right? And you know how it is when there's a political hire. Yeah. And you're like, damn, I got to take this guy, and he knows nothing. Right. He has no <laughs> clue of what's going on. And I didn't. Major motion pictures are way different than commercials. Way yeah. different. Way different. So uh, finally, Albert was like, he looks over at Arthur and he has, he gives me this look, man. <laughs> and uh, he looked over at Arthur, he was like, well, Arthur, you have any questions? And he did like, no, I don't have anything. See you on set. <laughs> and I walked out and I was like, wow, I got the job. And then from there on, I knew I was a political hire. Yeah. I knew that they were forced to take me, mm. but I never used that as... Now, Albert, ooh, Albert, old school, Albert would be in my ass. There were times where I just wanted to like, ah! And when I mean, ah, I wanted to choke him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but because Albert was good at what he did, yeah. and I knew if I wanted to work again, I had to bust my ass. Because in this business, you're only as good as your last show. Mm -hmm. Now my resume was going to be real. And so I knew that I had to, at the very least, do my job. Yeah. And be accountable for what I do. And also, he could depend on me. Yeah. To get the job done. Yeah. If anything, I would imagine you knew that here's a guy who went to bat for you and helped get your foot in the door. Exactly. You know, and it, but the thing is, is that if you don't do the job well, these guys are going to go back to him and he's not going to have your back again. No, not you know, at all. So it's like, you, like, like they say, it's like it's about who you know. Exactly. Once you're in, you got to show that you know how that to you do can, the that job. That you should stay in, that you have the right to still be there. Right. Because this business is small. Mm -hmm. And eventually... You will work with somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody. Right, right. And your reputation, it precedes you. Yeah. Yeah. So I end up um, Beverly Hills Cop 3, and after that, man, it just took off for me. And that's what we talked about with Ron. You yeah. Know, we talked about with Ron how he put the work in. 
Put you the know, work in. he he worked as a grip, he worked as an electric, you know, yeah. in, in in Chicago, and he worked his connections and he showed people that he knew how to do the job, which gave him opportunities to move up. Yeah. So, without any further ado, today's episode is with Ron L. Wright, boom operator. Extraordinaire. Hi, <laughs> there we go. Uh, out of Chicago, Ron's done movies like Barbershop 1, Barbershop 2, Save the Last Dance, uh, TV shows, Chuck, Parenthood, and he's currently working on NCIS Hawaii. So, hey, let's sit down, let's hear Ron L. Wright's story. Ding, ding. Well, you know, I can't, I can't say that, yeah. but I think yeah. you are the perfect boom operator. You are the epitome of what a great crew member is. Okay. You know what I mean? I would hope so. And I and I and I say that because rarely have I ever seen you get upset. And I know at times, damn, we got to get this guy. What exactly wired? Exactly wired. And I've never seen you <laughs> raise your voice. I've seen you give the look, like, you know, like if your dad gave you that look, like, hey, motherfucker. <laughs> right? That hey, motherfucker look. But never raise his voice. And just amazing at how calm this man is. And I just, I have always dug Ron. Ron L. Wright. Ron. Ron, we, we haven't met, so this we is my first met. time with you. <laughs> this is the first time we met. Which is yeah. amazing, because yeah. I mean, you and I work all the time, oh, and I've worked with him a lot. Yeah. But uh, so, uh, tell us how you got started, and how did you become a boom operator, and where did you get started in the business? Uh, born and raised in Chicago. All right. That's my hometown. That's where I actually really started in the business. Nice. But starting in the business started back, which brought me in this direction. Started from high school to college and it was all from music where'd you go to school i went to saint mary's college and where's that located in minnesota okay. outside of minnesota oh wow okay Park. did you grow up there in minnesota no just went to school there i had a scholarship that i put basketball gotcha and uh and then sports brought me into college and then they didn't know about my music background and i got thrusted into mu more music after they found out about it so you played piano and basketball piano basketball voice voice was the first mm -hmm. instrument nice yeah so my man, right? I've known Ron since 2005, right? Yeah, okay. So this is just maybe this time last year, maybe like January, February of last That's year, right? right? Yeah. 2022. So we're talking, right? He was like, "Yeah, man, I, yeah, I'm not." I was asking these questions like, "Oh, how'd you get started?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, you know, I, 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 I sing in several languages." He's like, "Oh yeah, well," he's like, "I sing in, in German." I was like. What? <laughs> I was like, I've known your ass for 10 years and you sing in German? Then he starts singing in German. I was like, what the fuck? I would have, I would have guessed maybe Italian if you if it was like opera, but yeah, German? I've done that, yeah. Okay. I've done Italian, uh, I've done Latin and English and German and okay. Spanish. Spanish. I've actually done more but than one, three languages, but German was the toughest. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Sang a lot of opera. Uh, my vocal coach, coach in college thought I was the Black Luciano Pavarotti. <laughs> <laughs> he used to say that to me all the time. And I was like, oh, you're really serious? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, great. Really? So, yeah, I started in college, and um, since my music, they thrusted me in the theater. Mm. And uh, I remember my teacher, uh, who was over the, he was the dean over the uh, theater, 
he brought me in and he said, we really would like you to come in and do theater because they wanted me to do musicals. And I had no idea what musicals were. I mean, I knew what they were, but I didn't think I could do it. And, and he sh showed me a fellow. He said, you're going to play this character. You're going to learn all the... I said, you want me to sing, dance, and learn all of this dialogue? I said, you're out of your mind. Sing, dance, <laughs> wait, 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 what songs yeah, are there in Othello? I, know, <laughs> I, I guess Othello the musical. They've, they've, <laughs> they've done it as a, as a, as a musical. Oh, really? They, they have. They have done it. Okay. And, uh, just, just certain excerpts from it. But uh, he just kept smoking his cigarette saying, you're going to be great. <laughs> you're going to be great. Right, and I'm sitting up there saying, no, I'm not. I can't play basketball and do this and do that. And so I, I wound up doing theater. And then after that, I, I learned set design. And then I learned lighting. Okay. Now all of a sudden I'm starting to get more into the theatrical part of it and then I start meeting people in television and film. They say, have you ever thought about doing this? He said, what's your major right now? I said, well, it's actually music and computer science. And so, But within the next six months, I switched my major mm. to communications because gotcha. I was involved in so much media content in college right. while I was playing basketball. Right. You, how'd your family feel about that? Oh, they were fine with it. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, they had no problem with it. As um, mm. long as I didn't lose my scholarship. <laughs> you still, got, you still got a pass, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. You're still passing, right? Still like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. pass. All right. It was uh, very ironic. I mean, I one sophomore year, I think that year, because we didn't have internet back then, so I mailed out 150 resumes right. to wow. production houses back in Chicago, and I heard from three. Mm. Wow. And I got a call for my to do my first commercial as a PA, which I thought was the best thing ever. $50 a day. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in. I'm in. And you were, to a certain extent. Like, right. yeah, you kind of had like a your pinky in the door. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. so, my classmates kept telling me, uh, what? well, don't you have an internship? Or uh, But my GPA was never high enough for an internship because you yeah. had to be like 3.0 or cum laude. And, and I'm sitting there with a 2.4. Really? Right. Uh, yeah, because I was so involved in campus. Right. With production, I was doing recitals, I was doing concerts, I was playing ball. Then I was recruited into a fraternity, a Men of Music, Phi Mu Alpha. Okay. So now I'm doing live shows. We're wow. running the soundboard. We're running like I'm learning all of this through my fraternity and through theater. And I sang in a band for four years. I was in a band within five months. Wow. A band like like a, a rock and roll band. Oh, get out of here! Rock and roll uh, in Motown. We knew over eighty-five songs. Damn! Yes. Nice. See, I didn't even know that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not his brother. Yeah. Since, it's gonna be I'm eighteen years, and Probably, I didn't know yeah. he was in a band. What songs did you guys did you guys play? We sang all the '50s, '60s music in Motown. So you know, Shame Lemon Ding Dong to Gotta Be a Special Lady to. Temptations? Temptations. Right. Yeah, okay. You probably big. Uh, oh, wow. Shoot. Um, so who were you, Melvin? At the time, I, they had me doing bass and I was doing first tenor. I was switching up on something. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. And sometimes, if I can get into the back, I play piano, then I jump back out front. But most of the time, I was out front singing with the guys. Oh, wow. Okay. So I'm still doing all of this and still trying to play ball. Right. <laughs> and trying to go to class. <laughs> and trying to clap, go to class and pass. and. I, I still to this day do not know how I graduated. I have no idea. I, I just remember walking across the stage. My last semester I had 22 credits, which is insane. Mm, wow, 22 yeah. credits in your last semester. Wow. I was trying to graduate on time. So, and I was uh, taking classes off campus and on campus and wow. I finished them. Wow. I, I finished my credits so late, they mailed my degree later. They gave me the book when I walked across the stage. Right, right, right. There's no degree in it. Right, 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 <laughs> right, right, right. right, right. 
Wow. No, so it, it wound up being all right for me. My advisor told me that you shouldn't worry about making a dean's list or being cum laude. I know you wanted to make that, he said, but a lot of people can't do what you do. You right. being able to prioritize and organize all of these things and still graduate on time. He said, there's a lot of students here that cannot do that. Right. He said, but you did it. He said, so don't worry about that. He said, yeah. you're going to be a success in life. And I was like, okay, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I feel a little better. Well, he was right. Is he still alive? <laughs> hey, you was right, brother. <laughs> I, I, I did he, my thing. I think he's still alive. Dr. Donald Peake. I think he's still alive. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Dr. Yeah. Don. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So... So that thrust me toward the, um, the direction of TV and film. I got my first commercial, which is an Illinois Bell commercial. Okay. That's not around anymore. It's a right. whole new company now, so uh, so that's why I started. They get sucked up by AT&T or something? Uh, they changed to AT&T, Comcast. Right, I mean, right, everything, right. everything just changed. Yeah. Right. It just changed. All of those names are, are gone. Those companies went out of business. And uh, so I started out doing a lot of commercials as a PA and a camera PA. How did you get from PA to kind of settling in with sound? Well, when I started out at PA, I already knew I wanted to be in sound. The sound is such a tight click to get into. Right. That's a ah, whole other okay. crop of people to get to know, uh -huh. especially the echelon that are always working. Uh -huh. So the, the quickest way I knew to get close to them is by being a PA. Uh -huh. I think that lasted a year. Okay. And then the grip department saw me. Okay. And they said, why are you a PA? <laughs> right. I was like, well, yeah, I didn't you're... know anybody. He's like, you know what these sandbags are, right? I was like, yeah. I said, we dealt with them in theater. I know what those are. He said, what lighting? I said, like, yeah. I said, I did theater. I said, I know. I know those ellipsoidals over there. I know the park hands over there, par 64s. I said, I know those. He said, hey, get over here. Said, what do you do? I said, pop, pop, pop. I'm not union yet. He said, no, 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 because we were doing non-union commercials. Right. Said, no, 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 no. I'll, I'll pull you on them. Put you my wing. We'll we'll get you going. We'll gradually pull you out of PA. So all right. of a sudden, I'm a grip. Nice. And then the electricians got to know me. Now all of a sudden, I'm an electrician. So I did Grip Electric. Now I'm doing Grip Electric for about eight years. Mm. Once again, yeah. I've known this man 18 years, <laughs> and I didn't know he was a Grip Electric. Yeah, I did that again, trying to get close to the, to the mixers. Wow. Several key grips that were calling me. There was a couple of gaffers that were calling me, and that was that was my circle for a while. And then I started to meet mixers and talk with them. And then they had a day here. They had a day there. Well, let me try you out on Boom. Come in as utility. So that circle kept going around and around since Chicago was considered a, um, a studio mechanics local. Okay. Which means what everybody, okay. studio mechanic local is a melting pot of everybody. Mm. Grip, electrics, sound. Location. So okay, it's all right. the same IATSE local. Yes, yeah, all up under that. The only ones that were separate was DGA, mm -hmm. camera, and maybe wardrobe because it's a huge wardrobe department in Chicago because of theater. Because the theater is a very yeah. big thing in Chicago. Mm -hmm. so, gotcha. okay. so they have their own union, but everybody else studio mechanics. So right. you can go to Pittsburgh, studio mechanics. You go to Phoenix, Arizona, studio mechanics. Okay. Uh, I can name the cities that do not have a separate union for each department because it's not enough work coming through. Right. So they just sort of so, to, yes. to create that they just to create a solidarity. They right. put everybody in one melting pot and they call it a studio, studio mechanics. Right. So, on. And that exists in a lot more places than you think. It's, it's, I mean, San Francisco, New York, Chicago. I, I, I pretty much think that's it. You that's mentioned far. Pittsburgh. What about like New Orleans? New Orleans is studio mechanics. Yeah. They're not separate. Pittsburgh is not separate because I, I work in both places. Right. And they're all up under one local. Yeah. Wow. Except the camp. Because at one point it used to be separate back then with camera. Mm -hmm. Then they became 
all one local nationwide 600 right that, ha that happened later on in our in our lives right you know, right it did happen there used to be separate departments in every city but now they they brought them all together but they are singled out as different cities but they do fall up under the umbrella of 600 yeah, yeah. Mm. so yeah 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 so, so it's good all right, so you've got so now all of a sudden you're you're doing grip, you're doing electric. When was your first time like doing sound? I'd have to say it wasn't until uh, Mo Money. Mo Money, Mo, Mo Money. Money with Marlon and Damon Wayans. That was ah, the first one Stacey I was Stacy Dash. On. Who else was in that? Uh, Marlon Wayans, Damon Wayans, Stacy Dash. Uh, uh, my, that's uh, my man. He's uh, Harry J. Lennox. Okay. Harry J was there, um, and then the rest of the actors that were pretty much there were all local Chicago actors the rest of the time on that show. So that was the first one I did from front to back. Gotcha. I mean, there were several other movies that I did before, but I think the movie before that, that which was absolutely my last time working as a electrician, and I had to do Condor. I was in a 120 foot Condor Woo. doing night work on Hoffa. Ooh, Hoffa. Ooh. With Danny okay. DeVito and. Uh, and uh, Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I did the first half of that show as a, as a juicer, electrician, and I was always going up in the bucket because I knew how to do it. So, and then the hall said, called me, and said, "We're switching you." I said, well, "What's going on?" He said, "Well, we got to take the utility off that show and put them on another movie." This is when Chicago was super busy. You're going to do sound the rest of the way. So now I'm now I'm not doing the electric, and the rest of the time on half I was a second room operator. Oh, cool. I finished wow. out that whole show, and then my next stretch was really more money from front to back. So, did you never do utility, or no? I, that was a uh, more money. I was a utility. Oh, okay. No, okay. I was utility. Okay, that, that one for sure. As I previous projects I did before that, I mean, again, being used to doing stagehand work because uh, I had worked at Oprah for seven years. Really? Yeah. What'd you do on Oprah? A stagehand. What the, does that mean? Stagehand stage is I'm um, pretty much. Doing whatever, what's ever needed on stage. It was half of it was sound, which is an A2. Okay. Um, then there's an A1, then there's an A3. I was an A2, so um, I organized the, the wireless mics. We had our segments broke up in books. As the guests came on and came off, we knew which mic we were taking off and putting on somebody else. How did you like working on that? It was great. Um, uh, she treats her people very well. Cool. At the Christmas and the end of the year, we always had bonuses, especially that depended upon the percentage of how much you were there freelancing wise. If you were there 90% of the time, you got a bigger bonus. Uh, right, you were right. only fifty percent of the time. Your bonus is going to be this big. So that was, that was the relativity. But you weren't forgotten. You know, it's like no. a lot of times it's like you don't get a rap kit. Yeah, Unless you were here literally every yeah. day. Right. It's like, so can, can I just get a t-shirt? Just a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, they she treated her people very well. And then about halfway through, I started noticing the change that was happening down there. It went from one sh one show or two shows a week to no shows the next week. Then the following week you might do three with the audience. Then for another two weeks you don't work. Mm. So it slowly started to diminish. And this is when she stopped doing those huge shows with the audience. Right, right. And I saw the writing on the wall and and everybody thought I was crazy for probably leaving. I said, but I said she's not gonna keep me employed long enough to pay my bills. Right. And that's what I was gonna ask you is yeah. like at that time it's like I know Chicago is not typically considered like New York, San Francisco, LA, but at that time in your life coming up, you know, working as a stagehand, I assume there was some sort of economic pressure wave that we all oh, yeah. go through in our 20s. Absolutely. I to mean, just make enough money and work enough. Oh yeah, there was always uh, 
ups and downs for sure. I mean, especially with uh, when I was in Chicago. I mean, I've experienced a strike there. I've experienced a strike here, and now I'm experiencing my third strike. So I know I know what it's like. So you're talking about the uh, 2007, yeah. 2007, 2008 yeah. strike, the, the current strike. The current what strike. What strike? Would there you... was one before that in Chicago. You know, I'm sorry. It was not. That wasn't the first strike. That was when the incentives started to happen. Okay. And so everybody was running to Canada. Right. Everybody oh. was running to Canada. Because Chicago had everything going for us. And when those tax incentives started in Canada, the, almost almost every city almost dried up. Mm. Yeah. I keep calling it the first first, right. <laughs> first, strike. first strike. Felt like a strike. Felt like a strike, too. <laughs> right, because, yeah. yeah, because Kenya, yeah, it yeah. became really... I mean, it was... It hit Chicago really hard when, when all that work went to Canada and people started trying to buy property up there. Just to even the plot of land so they can go there to work. Because Canada wasn't letting us come in. Yeah. They weren't letting us come in. And I don't think you still you still can't get in You there, still right? can't really do it. No. 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 It, it, they'd have to pay a huge fee to bring you in. It could be done. Yeah. You just got to pay them. Right, right, right. You just have to it could be money. done. You got to pay them. Because they're, they're trying to keep their people, their people employed. Employed, yeah. yeah. yeah so I mean, they're from sense, New York, don't, doesn't want us to go there. Or mm -hmm. If so, okay, we, we, we got to match you. Yeah, exactly. We have to match you. When we, when yeah. I did Ali, mm -hmm. we get, we go to Chicago, and for every person we brought to Chicago, they had, we had to match people. So, like, if we had 10 grips, we had 10 grips from Chicago. Wow. And they would just sit around. That's yeah, <laughs> and now we just—that's what would just blow yeah. my mind. I remember they wouldn't even leave the truck area. I remember. That's the cruise on set. <laughs> so, how long were you in uh, in Chicago? I was just working in Chicago probably a good thirteen years before I made the decision really to come to LA. Because for a long time I was going back and forth. It all started with more money, and okay. I was working with. Uh, a mixer uh, by the name of Russell Williams. He was what up, Russ? Yeah, yeah. You're gonna have to listen to this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was working with him, and he had already did Dance with Wolves and Glory. Right. He got this best sound for that. Only African Americans won two Oscars back to back. And uh, he wanted me, after doing more money, to come to New York to do Boomerang. Mm. But the unions wouldn't let me come. So he said, Don't worry, I think I got something else in the pipeline. And. Uh, and then he, then he talked to me about joining LA's local, local 695, sound engineers local here in LA. He said, are you a member there yet? I was like, no, I said, I'm still trying to get no one here because I did, once again, they grandfathered me because Chicago was so busy mm -hmm. and allowed me to work on more money. They just gave me a permit. Right, right. And he said, well, shoot. He said, I can get you an application right now for LA local. I said, oh, okay. So he got it to me, sent, sent it to me by snail mail. I filled it out, sent it back in. They sent me a letter back. That's how much I still am. Oh, yeah, you're in. It's like, oh, man, great. I wish you was that easy. I did so many, I day played so many days. They just looked at it and said, why hasn't Chicago let you in their local yet? I said, I don't know. I said, quiet as it's kept, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. They sent it back and said I was in, and then they told me what the fee was, and I was like, okay, I'll get it to you as soon as I can, and then my union found out in Chicago. In Chicago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the uh, BA came out the same one day. Said, oh, I hear you. Are you in six nine five in LA? I was like, Yeah. 
Oh, well, I just put your paperwork through. You're going to be in bars. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, now you let me. Right, exactly. Right. Now you're afraid to lose me. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, great. I was like, okay, two locals. Okay. Right, right, right. So you were in both locals now. For a while, I was in both locals, and then I eventually got out of Chicago's local because I wasn't working there anymore. Right. I, I was going back and forth on so many shows because I used to tell people um, in Chicago, they were wondering how I was getting these jobs from out of town. I said, well, I, I said I was trying to think outside the box. I wanted to work outside back in. So I was I was getting in touch through other people, finding out technicians that were coming here, even if they were camera operators or a second AD or something. I was just trying to put my name in her hat, and so they could say my name to somebody else, and or to the other sound mixer. And then, so by the time they land here, the other technicians that might be in the city that might be going after that job, he's like, oh no, we we already heard about this guy Ron Wright. <laughs> really? And so they were asking me, how are you doing this? I said, I'm just trying to be creative in the way I find my clientele, yeah. and I, which I still tell my sons today. Creative clients, creative clients, creative clients, creative clients. I don't, care, I don't care how you do it. Just try to figure out a way to be creative and make and get in touch with other prospects that might potentially can hire you or refer you or keep you in the mix, your name in the mix. So that back and forth went on for a while and then I had to just make that decision to come to LA. And at the time I was, you know, um, my son and, and my my then wife decided to stay in Chicago, and I went to LA, mm. and uh, and just kept on with my contacts. And then I just knew I was never going back unless I got called for a job to come back there under six nine five California jurisdiction. When I go back there, because I would not go back there again at the moment to work up under their contract because it's it's less money. So you went from yeah. utility. Yeah. And then you became a boom. What was your first time being like full-time boom? No, the more um, utility. Full-time boom. Um, first time for me. God, God, I jumped back and forth a couple times still. Uh, uh, barbershop. Wow. Okay. Ice Cube, Sexual Entertainer, Eve, yeah. Michael Ely. Michael Ely. Yep. Yeah. You got okay. it. All of those all right. guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I worked them, with all you know, of them. Anthony Anderson. Anthony Anderson, yeah. Lorenz Tate. Yep, Lorenz Tate. Yep. I did a movie in uh, in Alabama with Lorenz. Yeah, I know both those brothers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, that was you, you're booming, your utility days were over. Yeah, it's pretty much over. Soul Food, Barbershop, Barbershop 2, Save Last Dance. Just moved on from there. Yeah. Okay. Those are my first movies to boom on, but I was still, I was still doing some utility here and there. Still that, still that going on. And then, um, really, really full, full fledged, booming, just completely all the time was, was really uh, um, with uh, Tommy Schlamy on uh, Jack and Bobby. Jack and Bobby. And that's when I started working with Nick. Right. The was, Citizen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the citizen. <laughs> What have you had in, in the, like the last few years that you know? It was right now it's NCIS Hawaii. Now I've been on that the last two seasons. Before that, I was on Magnum PI in Hawaii, mm -hmm. and then before that, I was on Hawaii Five O for seven seasons. I believe it was seven, and then before that, I was on Parenthood for six seasons. I did some shows in between Hawaii Five O and uh, Magnum. I was doing Masters of Sex for Showtime. What was that shot? That was shot at Sony. I, I watched that show and I thought I, 
often they would go to uh, LA Center Studios, right? Um, I think they had some stuff built there, but the main stage was was something. Wasn't that based on? Was it? Yeah, yeah, it's a true story. Yeah, it's a true story. But I mean, about they, the about the masters, right? Yeah. But they but they were in in the Midwest somewhere, right? Were they yeah. in Chicago? Yeah, they were Midwest. Yeah. yeah, Illinois, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's You're what I thought. Right. I was like, yeah. I, so I thought that. I mean, I just assumed it was shot in Chicago. It was all, I all out know here. Was out here. Yeah, I thought all it was out here. Really? Michael Sheen. Yeah. 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 That, was a, that was a good series. Yeah. It was different. <laughs> well, it was. But I enjoyed working with Michael Sheen. He was, he was a yeah. great guy. And, it, uh, but I mean, it was at, it was at a time when, you know, when women is right before the women's revolution. Yes. And it was before the sexual revolution. Yes. Liam Neeson did a movie before that came out. And that was based on uh, what was the name of the doctor who was talking about sex in the forties? Ah, uh, yes. Uh, I'm trying to think his name. Uh, I don't know. I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> but it. But that was that was a precursor yeah. to master to the master of sex. Oh, I just did it two years ago. I think now I did a Netflix show called From Scratch with Zoe Saldana. Was that? Yeah, like she's like the producer and she stars in it. Yeah. She executive produced the Gordita's Chronicles. I did the pilot oh, for that. Okay, that was interesting because uh, it was her and Eva Longoria, and I think it was uh, Zoe and her her sister that were, mm-hmm. were EPs on that. That oh, was okay. that was fun. Right. I think it was HBO Max, and it was you know this this story about this girl mm-hmm. growing up in the eighties in, right, in right. Miami. That was a fun a one. So, how would you describe your lifestyle working in this industry because you know when you work at 12 plus hours a day it's like yeah. it's not normal for like the average person it's not normal i've i've always tried to pace myself as much as i possibly can um i try to govern myself in a sense of making sure i have a productive day and and i also give rest at the same time and uh i try to manage that the best i can especially being on my feet all day long and then coming back home and then figuring out what real life things I have to do to get organized when I'm at my computer. It's not all very easy and of course it can be chaotic for all of us. And uh, you know, I try to figure out ways to keep my catalog best on every day. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Someone's gonna shoot at you. I got on set, I tell everybody, uh, ask me how I'm doing, I said, oh, I'm doing great, I got my Kevlar vest on, it's, it's a black S on the front, and I take bullet hits every day. <laughs> <laughs> take bullet hits every day, and I gotta stand there and do it with a smile, or do it yeah. with a look. So it's like... <laughs> so, your signature call, you know, when you're actually like, hey, we're rolling, and usually the boom operator's like, speak? What is your signature call, and, and how did you, how did that come about? <laughs> It's uh, ding ding. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like. And I yell it out pretty loud. Yeah, yeah. but I mean with this big, yeah. booming voice. <laughs> the first time I heard it was in 2005 on uh, Invasion. <laughs> I remember the first time I heard it, it was like, all right, we're rolling. And so, you know, I'm I'm ready to hear speed. Right. And it was like, ding ding. <laughs> I'm like, oh, shit. That's kind of cool. Because <laughs> when I worked with Russell Williams, mm-hmm. and I was on set first time with him, and he said, okay, Ron, we're rolling. And I said, hey, because that's the way they were teaching me in Chicago. You say hey, what? Hey. He took his headphones off and walked out and said, said, don't you ever say it like that. 
<laughs> you say sound speed, man. You let them know who you are, make our presence felt. Right. That's the way you say it. He walked back to his chair. Ever since then. <laughs> okay, I better not say it that way anymore. And uh, so I've been very vocal every time I say that. It's an ongoing thing, and everybody sees me. They always go ding ding. Mm. But it's pretty much on a bell. Because a lot of times, to be honest, a lot of times the, the mix is on headset, and you guys may be calling on a bell, but you might be at the other end of the set. Exactly. Or you're not that close enough to me, but I hear it. Right. So if the mixer doesn't hear it in the, in the microphone, then I yell out, ding, ding. And he'll, right. he'll turn for whatever he's doing back there. What's on the board? <laughs> so you try to take the <laughs> I mean, that's one of those things that we do on set, I think, to like kind of keep it lively. You know, it's yes. sort of like those idiosyncrasies that we create yeah. to keep our lives sane. A lot of people look forward to though hearing certain nuances or from certain people how they are, how they how they work on set and core lenses, and they look forward to that each day and gives them a little breath of freshness, you know. Yeah. Like, you know, I was having a down moment today, but I heard you say ding ding. 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 <laughs> <laughs> that's that's gotta be okay. That's got to be a t-shirt. <laughs> Yo, somebody put that on a t-shirt. Ding ding. <laughs> and the go. crazy thing yeah. is that I've heard from actors that this man, when he's wiring them, that they are very at ease. It's like, you know, some uh, sound people, and, and no disrespect, people, you know, actresses, mm -hmm. actors, they don't feel comfortable because you have to be very intimate. Tell us about that. Um, How intimate you have to be when you're putting a mic on something. Well, you have to develop a personal relationship with them, and some take longer than others. And you have to be able to see that and recognize it and do your job and try to get your job done at the same time. Then some of them you got to try to corral them. Mm. Then some days are good, some days are bad, you know. Uh, something might have happened with family at home and they brought it to work with them. Mm. You know, or somebody in the upper offices made them upset and they bring it to work. So I see it all the time. But overall, it's trying to develop a repertoire with them. Right. And then explaining to them what we're doing, why we're doing it of these camera angles it's because of your choreography and what you're doing mm -hmm. when you're bending over or sitting up your clothes shift from one side shift to another or somebody has to grab you i have to move the mic why do you have to move the mic i said well he's grabbing you right here mm -hmm. I, said, I just gotta move it over a little bit and then i gotta explain that and i gotta do it in a cordial fashion where they don't get too upset or i'm trying to calm them down i was like this well i'm not gonna do it that way I said, okay i said you're gonna go to adr Oh, but they don't want to go to ADR. <laughs> they don't want to loop anything. And what so, is ADR? Automatic dialogue replacement. And that is, you You have to do that because? Um, if there's any noise over the spoken word, a chair drop, a pen, crinkling paper, over that line, then they have to recreate it in the sound booth later. The actors are brought in on their day off while we're working. And depending on how bad it is, they can be in there for a couple of hours. It all depends on how much work was was crushed by unbeknownst sounds that happened on set, airplane going over, car screeching, um, somebody talking too loud. Then we gotta do another take, or they, they'll say we don't have time, we're moving on. Go to the script supervisor, make a note, um, let the director know, so they'll know, then we make our own notes. That they gotta get ADR yeah. on those yeah. lines. Yeah, they're gonna have to, yeah, yeah, it's gonna have to be fixed, or you're gonna have to be you know, replaced. Yeah. If we don't let them know ahead of time, it could come back to haunt us as a department, sound department. Because mm. they can easily say, you guys never warned us, you never let us know, now we have to spend this money. So we tend to be a little belligerent about it, just to make sure our point gets across. Right. As long as they heard it and they documented it, then we can move on. 
being my mixer in, in Hawaii, we haven't had to really loop anything since we've been on the island. Hardly anything. Which CBS has really liked, you know. And, and the actors like it because they spend time with their family. And we've always had people come to us, our department, and, and thank us and say, hey, this is this has changed. I hardly ever go to ADR now. They're at peace now. I said, like, oh my God, is this, we noticed the change. We want to let you know, right? We noticed the change. I'm like, great, I feel better. <laughs> <laughs> Even I was fighting you on it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. And we always bring it up. It's like, remember that time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I said, I'm just, I'm just, you know, trying to bring you to the water. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> Don't get mad at me. Right. I'm just trying to do, I said, just let, allow me to do my job. Just let me do my job. Right. So just like you have a job to do. I said, that's all I'm trying to do. With, with the, COVID? Me too. Well, oh, sorry. Hey, right. sorry. So, oh, no, no, but, but I mean, finish. COVID also. So, yeah. so we go from Me Too, yes. right? And then we go with COVID, mm-hmm. especially with Me Too and, and that in that time period when anything that you had to do, especially putting a mic in a bra, yeah. putting a mic close to, sure. you know, and then maybe having to run the wire down the leg. How did you handle that? Well, I had to coach them. Unfortunately, it moved, it's, it's moved into an era now, and now it's that COVID's behind us. It's still a thing. You have to coach them on what to do. Okay, when you go back to your trailer, take this. Put it there. Uh, put, it on, put it on your ankle or clip it on your bra. You know, and these are the things I will coach them to do. And because nowadays I can't go back there and see the wardrobe, you know, like a feature, I would go back there and I would get everything, I'd just get everything up, up right. front. I'd see everything, pictures and everything all, all the time. But with TV moving so fast, that doesn't happen all the time. So I would just send the wire to them or we'll leave it in, in like number one, number two's trailer. And then I said, if you don't know where you can put it, just put the wire and just leave it hanging out. Just leave it dangling right there on top of your dress or whatever, jacket, whatever it is. Right. And so when you get to set, I'll tell you what to do. Like on our NCIS show right now, our number one on the call sheet, I send the wire to her the day before. So when she gets there, it's oh, already wow. on her trail. Battery, ready to go. Oh, wow. And since I've been coaching and working with her, she'll either find a good place or she'll, she'll just say, oh, I don't know where I'm going to put it today because she has like 20 things in her mind. So she'll just take and leave it hanging out. Right. She comes to set and she asks me, where's Ron? I'm here. Then I go to her chair. Then I look at what she's wearing. And then I place the mic. And, uh, and sometimes I, I won't place the mic. I'll, uh, some of the time I'll let them do a rehearsal. So I'll know where to place the mic. Gotcha. You know, so. Yeah. But I was, I'll probably lean more, more six percent of the time. I place the mic so we can at least get a rehearsal out of it as well as other parts. Yeah, because you do. Yeah, you need to hear we what need to get the a, movement and everything. Yeah. All right, we got to know all of that to find out our problems. What I can boom, what I can't boom. What's right. going to be on the wire? What's not going to be on the wire? As soon as the fight starts, the fight ends. Goes back to the wire because we got wide and tight cameras going all at the same time. Right. So that whole nuance has to be figured out as you go through the scene. And I'm, I'm reading the scene, and I'm, I. I know what's going about to happen, you know, so right. pretty much. But then I want to see the choreography of what they do, and that helps me with my placement on my show. Now they come to set saying, "You know, run around. I got a nice white cotton shirt. Oh, I got a nice. This shirt's kind of crunchy. Maybe we should put it under here today." I like it. So we'll have that dialogue goes back and forth now. Where before, as actors, they probably would never have conversations with me like that. But it's because I know I've coached them. 
yeah. by having a conversation with them because they would just show up the set and all they knew was their words. Right, and that's collaboration. That's, that's collaboration. collaboration. Yeah. Right. right. So I, I have to do those things to be efficient at my job. And I just, you know, there's, there's, there's other people out there that won't go this far. They'll mm. just rather be fixed in post or something like that, maybe. You know, or they'll be forced out by other producers or trying to move it on. No, we can't wait. I said, but you're not going to get okay. So they now, but now the show has gotten used to just having bad sound half the time. Right. Right. They're right. just used to it. I mean, it's hard to come in when they're used to it. It's just, and and you know you can achieve and make it better. And but, but all you can do is just sit back up. Okay. So I've they played on shows like that and I get there and. And I know this isn't my show, so I gotta just sit there and just okay, right? Until unless it's something really bad that everybody hears on the headset, these guys go in there and fix that. Or what can we do to get a boom closer? You know, right. <laughs> so, right. so it's those kind of nuances. You know, it's those nuances. Gotcha. You gotta have the collaboration with the actors, and the, you gotta develop a relationship with them. It's, it's absolutely, it's absolutely king that you develop something with them. It's it's, it's hard. It's hard not to. But that, that's been my way since the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Me being in, a, in my career is developing that relationship with them and explaining to them what's being done, why it's being done for this situation. Right. Electrical. So yeah, it's always been. That. I, I wanted to ask. I mean, considering you you both worked on Ali, right? I did not. No, you did, did not. not. Was it Congo? No. no. What is no. it that we you, did? Invasion. You I, did I invasion. Ron, yeah, yeah. TV we series. Did, yeah, TV series. Yes. I think we've only worked TV, and then we we became really really good friends outside of TV yeah and that's what he and I just we just clicked right because it, it was him and Rodney yep. and it was cool and then I got on invasion and and it was just like you know it was like simpatico all of a sudden me and Ron just were hanging out yeah, and next thing you know we're at clubs and and, yeah. and hanging out drinking together and, yeah. and you know he was at my house I was at his place and yeah. and it just became really good friends well, let me ask you that question is, is how important do you feel are the sort of personal relationships and friendships that we develop on set to, to you and to getting the job done? Yeah, I mean, it's very important. I mean, because I tell people all the time, especially people coming up in the business, they want to be great at their job. And I tell them, I said, do you want to be offset or do you want to be onset? <laughs> well, I want to be onset. I said, well, learn your job and everybody else's. It's going to help you in the long run to be more fluid on set, knowing what that dolly grip is doing, where that camera operator is pan, when the ABs call three background to walk through a certain point screen, line two, line four, line six. So you have to know what their jobs are while you're doing your job to make everything flow. Me and another mixer, we used to call it making music. And that's when everybody's flowing together for one take on scene, dolly grip pushing. Camera operators going, focus pullers pulling focus to the main actor. Background are walking quietly. Everybody's in tune with each other. It's all in sync. When everybody's on board, you're making music. All right, well, the Abby's up. All right, Abby's up. And so, uh, so, uh, so who else would you like to listen to on this podcast? To be honest, I wouldn't mind hearing Nick Allen. Ah, the citizen. The citizen. <laughs> and another sound mixer I know who I, is an extremely bright individual. I so desperately I wanted to work with him a few years ago. I was supposed to go to Texas. I'm mean, on no, no, uh, Mexico. 
to do this Idris Elba movie. And, but it was right when I was getting my right hip surgery. And, uh, and I called him back and said I couldn't do it. I, I, I should do the surgery. He's just a really great guy. He's Anthony Ortiz. Ah, I don't think I've ever... Boom operator, ever. now mixer. He's a sound mixer. And he went out there to do that show. And then I, six months later, it comes on Netflix. And I'm looking at it. And I'm like, uh, honey, yeah. I said, this show is called... Uh, Legends, of, Legends of the Fall. When they fall, was it uh, the, the, the one? I, I know. What you, yeah. The harder they fall. The harder they fall. The right. harder they fall. Right. Jenny uh, King. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody yeah. was in the Jonathan right. Majors. It was a big show, and I, I said, "This is the one I turned down to go back to Hawaii." <laughs> <laughs> you turned. I said, I, "I had to get the surgery. I'm going back to Hawaii." I said, "I just decided not to right. do it." So it was, yeah. it was funny. So yes, Anthony Ortiz and Nick out. So, Martini's up. Martini's up. So, what are you watching these days? What 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 excites you what, when you uh, come home? It's like, I want to watch some show. The last couple of shows I finished looking at that really blew me away um, was uh, Taylor Sheridan's last couple, um, 1893 mm -hmm. and then 1923. These are the preceding stories of Yellowstone and how Yellowstone started. Ah, gotcha, okay. It's about that family. Okay. Mm -hmm. And how they migrated across the country and, and got their land. Right. And it's all about that. And it's 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 just written very well, shot very well. They only use two cameras. It's a great show. Those are the last ones that I've pretty much looked at that I really enjoy. We're good. Yeah. Well, we'd like you to call it so. And that's a wrap. Ding ding. <laughs> <laughs> ding ding. <laughs> Thank you very much, Ron L. Wright. Thank you. I really guys. appreciate it, brother. All right. Yeah, thanks, Ron. Man, it was so cool to find out that Ron did grip and electric work uh, for eight years before you know he, he made his way to the sound department. Yeah, that's a that's a while. That's a while. I mean, I I, I admire that man. Yeah, that's put that's kind of putting in your dues. Like you literally are doing a completely different role than where you ultimately really want to be. Yes, exactly. And that is the type of attitude you've got to have. If you want to be in this business, it yeah. doesn't matter where you start is where you finish or where you want to go. Yeah, you got to be persistent. Yeah. You have to stick gotta with it. got to be tenacious. It. Yeah. yeah you got you to gotta stick with it. Yeah, thanks, Ron, for coming out. I, I appreciate some of the things that, that Ron shared. I loved his uh, bit of advice that he gives to his son about, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, creative clients, creative clients, creative clients. <laughs> exactly. I like, I like that. So thanks again, Ron. Next week... Yeah. We have Ooh, Cheo. Nancy Cheo, costume designer, and she is a costume designer known for uh, working on The Shy. Great series. And she also did a movie, one of my favorites, The Runaways. Ah, Joan Jett. Yes. And a uh, Apple movie called Ghosted. Ah, okay. I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah. And... We'll get to know more about Nancy and what she's done in the industry as a costume designer. Chill. Hey, if you like the show, hit the subscribe button and follow us. Yo, my name is Spoon. And this is BC. We'll be back next week. See you on the next one.
If you can, support the Go for PAs Alliance to help production assistants in the film and television industry. Go for PAs Alliance provides relief funds now to the TV and film employees at the lowest end of the totem pole. So check out Go for PAs Alliance. That's G O F O R P A S Alliance.com and show your support.